Let's go to Mark chapter 5. And this subject tonight has to do with learning the name of demons, finding out what, what their name is. And um, when I did my study, I, I was looking for common denominators. So what I did is I cut apart every instance of deliverance in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are none in John, so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And I just laid them all out. I photocopied them, cut them apart, set them out in front of me. This before computers. And um, set them out in front of me. And then just took my marker to look for common denominators. And, and what I found is a lot of people feel it's really imperative that you find out the name of the demon. And it turns into some pretty wild parlor parties where you're, you're, you got someone who you're praying for and you say, are you a lion demon? Are you a lion spirit? And they say yes. And you say, are you lying? Well, yes. <laughs> you know, it just becomes this crazy thing of trying to find out their names. They're all liars. They're all liars and they're all rebellious. And so... Uh, to have a tug of war with a demon to find out whether it's a lion spirit or not. Well, they'll just lie. And then what do you do with that? And um, there's one instance in scripture where Jesus actually asked the name of the demon. And they didn't give a name like uh, uh, spirit of lust or spirit of lion. They said legion, which the, 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 uh, the word name has to do with authority. And the word name has to do with character or the person. It could be uh, a surname like Penn Clark, my name. It could have to do with that. But that's not what Jesus was asking for. He wanted to know uh, the nature of what he was dealing with. And, and the demon uh, said, my name is Legion, for we are many. So it wasn't about a particular sin and almost anything you ever hear about finding the name of a demon has to do with the sin that it's related to. And once Jesus heard that, um, he cast it out. And, and if you look up the, the word legion, uh, and you can find this many places, just Google it. It says, a legion is a body of soldiers whose number differed from different times. So at the time of Augustus, uh, a, a legion consisted of 6,826 6, men, uh, 6,100 foot soldiers, and 726 horsemen. So that was a legion in Jesus' day. And we know, he said, were many. We also know that um, there's a herd of pigs nearby. And uh, it was illegal for people to be raising hogs in Israel. It was illegal for them to raise them. It was illegal for them to uh, eat, the, eat the pork and sell the pork. And so it just shows how much of a decline, how, they, how far they had gotten away from the Bible. And when Jesus uh, gave them permission to go in the swine, thousands of swine ran down a hill and jumped off a cliff and committed suicide, and they, they died. Nelson and I were in that region. It's called Decapolis, and so it's, it's, it's on this shore of the Sea of Galilee, and we were by ourselves. No one around. We had the place to ourselves, and we could drive for miles. And, and uh, so we're driving along and stopping at different times, looking for a cliff. Uh, there, there are very few places that would fit the Bible description where there'd be a, a field and then a drop-off where thousands of pigs could 
jump off a cliff and actually drown. We only found one place uh, in all that whole region that would fit this description. So we think we, think we found it. Um, but there are thousands of pigs and thousands of demons, and so we just know. But Jesus, Jesus was, I think part of what he was doing was getting the demon to reveal a little bit more about himself. And any chance you can do that, it does give you a little bit more authority. What they want to do is they want to hide. They don't want you to be able to detect very much. So if they can hide, they can, they can uh, um, stay. They can stay longer. Uh, and so anything you can kind of uh, get from them periodically, uh, it, it, it works this way. Sometimes the demons are so small and so insignificant that you just tell them to leave and it's over and it's gone. Sometimes it's a long protracted battle and you, and you might have to get a little bit more information. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's wrong to talk to demons. They are liars and they will... They will set up decoys. They'll tell, you, they'll tell you the most crazy stories. And I've heard people repeat those stories as if they're gospel. I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard stories where the, uh, people are teaching as a, as a fact, as, a, as a, uh, a primary source for a particular belief. And when I asked them where they got that from, they said a demon told us that when we are casting it out. I think that's wrong. I think it's pitiful. But I know men of God. I know I've had, I've had friends who've done that. And so it's kind of an easy pit to fall into. Um, Jesus only did that once, which shows me that it's allowed and shows me that periodically it's required, but it's not common. What Jesus dealt with almost every time that he dealt with a demon, he addressed it as an unclean spirit or as an evil spirit, and commanded it to come out. And, and most anything you'll ever deal with will just be that simple. It's just they're evil, they're unclean, and you, you just address it as such, you, or you foul spirit, come out, and that's, that's it. Uh, very rarely are you going to need more, um, more in terms of a description of how they got in, what their access point was, um, you're not going to need that very often, but there might be a time you might need that. And so um, what's happened in American spiritual warfare circles is there's a, there's a demon for everything. There's a, you know, if someone has a struggle with lust, then it's a lustful spirit. If they have a, a trouble with anger, then it's a spirit of anger. If they have, uh, I've heard people say that, you know, someone couldn't stop biting their nails, so it was a, a demon of nail biting. Uh, someone else had cold feet, and they'd put them on their husband, which, his back, when they're sleeping, which was tormenting, so it had to be a demon. So it's a demon of cold feet. I mean, we've gotten, we've gotten crazy with this stuff. That whole line of finding a demon, the name of a demon for every, every, uh, everything that happens is bunk, is useless. It's not biblical. It's just not even... Jesus didn't do that. You're wasting your time. If you want to dull your axe going down that road, have at it. But I, I'm not going to go with you. Uh, I'm not... I know people, they, they say, well, it's a demon of this and it's a demon of that. And they had the demon of, of this and a demon of that. And I just yawn my way through that because it's, it's just so 
unimpressive for me. It's not what Jesus did. And um, if it was that easy that you match a sin, you know, someone feels, you know, abandoned by their parents, so they have an orphan spirit, and they have a demon of, of uh, you know, neglect, and, and then there's, there's just all this stuff. If, if it's just that simple, why is there such a thing as the gift of discerning of spirits? Why would you need a discerning of spirit kind of gift? Because all you have to do is know what the sin is, and you, you've got the name of the demon. And, it, and, and knowledge puffs up, and I see that there's a kind of pride that's usually attached to that. I'm just not interested in that. I basically deal, I have a working premise that it's an unclean spirit, and, and we just deal with it that way. Now, there are... There are exceptions to that, and so we, we need to take time to, to lay that in. It's not altogether straightforward. For example, um, there was a woman who'd been in Israel, and Jesus was in a meeting, and he saw her and had compassion on her, and she was bent double. She was bent in an L-shaped form, and she'd been in that condition for years. Uh, I think I've, I haven't read it for a while. I think it was 14 years. Is that what it was? I think it was 14 years. It's a long time. If it was 14 days, it's too long. And Jesus had compassion on her, and ministered to her, and he called it a spirit of infirmity. Okay, so the uh, word infirmity can relate to sickness. And so he dealt with it as a demon because... When there's a demon present, uh, one of the things that you can discern is they have no, the person has lost their ability con to control themselves. The demon so controls. In fact, the idea of being um, uh, possessed means that you have no more control. They actually have dominion. And so this woman had no ability to straighten herself up. Jesus dealt with that as, as if it was a demon a spirit of infirmity, and next thing you know, the woman is set free, and it's, it's powerful. There's another ex exception. Uh, Jesus dealt with uh, deaf and dumb spirits, and he actually called it, or the, the gospel writer labeled it. In other words, the person couldn't hear anything, and it was a demon that was preventing them from hearing. They couldn't see anything, and it wasn't natural blindness, and it wasn't some disease or some accident. A demon had gotten in and had prevented them from seeing. So Jesus came and he dealt with it as a demon. And next thing you know, they could see and they can hear. And that's real. What you can't do is assume that everybody you ever meet from that, on, that time on who's deaf or who's blind has a demon. You can't do that. There's a time when... Um, Paul was walking from place to place, and, and this young girl would go ahead of him, and she'd raise her voice, and she'd call out to the people, and she said, these men are of God, and they've come to show us the way of salvation. And Paul was grieved in his spirit. There's something, she, what, what, what she said was true, but inside him, he was grieved. Inside him, he had a, a sense that, that's not the Spirit of God speaking. And it affected him in such a negative way that he spoke and he cast that demon out 
And the and the uh, Luke noted that it was a familiar spirit. Familiar spirits have to do with fortune telling. You should never go to a fortune teller. You should never have your palm read. You should never have tarot cards read. You should never have anything to do with a fortune teller. Uh, I did before I knew the Lord, and when I was a, a young guy, uh, and and uh, the guy who was doing this asked for my address. And so I told him my address, and he said, no, take me there. So I've, I orally gave him directions to my house. And from that time on, my house had demons. I didn't know the Lord, but I knew my house. I told my sister my house was haunted, and I knew, I knew how it had happened. That, that stuff is horrible. In the Old Testament, it's called the spirit of divination. And... Um, and anything to do with witchcraft, divination, fortune-telling, all of that is a demon. There's a demon behind it. And it may look like fun, and it may look like parlor games, but there's a demon, and they will, they will uh, attach themselves to your lives, and you wish you didn't have them. They'll become a friend you wish you never had. So they are, they are the categories. There's the only other one that, that is notable. Paul was writing uh, to Timothy, and, and he said that there are seducing spirits being released into the earth in the last days. And seducing spirits have to do with uh, uh, false teaching. Uh, they're called lying spirits, or they're called uh, uh, spirit of antichrist. It's all, all in the same category. They are seducing people with false teaching. And when you get among Mormons, and there's different cults like that, and when you actually interact with them, you will, you will sense that there's something really more than just human rational thinking that has caused them to believe that way, that there's an actual demon behind it. And uh, so Paul said that there are seducing spirits. Uh, I've seen this. I, I've, I've ministered to people who are, have a delusion. They believe the craziest stuff, but they really believe it. And not only do they believe it, but they try to impart that knowledge to other people. And we've encountered them. We've resisted that. And next thing you know, you find out you're dealing with a demon. And it happens. And so, so for the most part, that's it. It's like, it's like anything that you're going to need probably for the rest of your life are on five fingers. There's really not much else you're ever going to need. It's that simple. What people have done is, is they've taken the word spirit, and if you run your references on it, there's quite a few uh, verses, especially in the Old Testament, call it a spirit of this or a spirit of that. And they've automatically assumed that that is a demon. Well, a spirit could also be a mental disposition. It could be a human spirit. It could be an evil spirit. It could be an angelic spirit. It's not a good way to, to study the scripture, just to assume that they're all evil. And uh, I think you'll make some mistakes if you end up doing that. But, but people do. There are people who do that. Uh, so if you go in the Bible and you look up unclean spirits, familiar spirits, the thing with familiar spirit, um, he, th this was a popular book that was out a few years ago. I don't know if it's still out there anymore, but every month it was advertised in Charisma magazine. And here's what the, here's what the advertisement said for this book about familiar spirits. They said a familiar spirit is familiar, uh, um, a familiar spirit 
uh, is familiar with a person, a place, or a thing, uh, and you have some, and these uh, spirits are familiar with you. They know you because they have lived with you and around you long enough to become familiar with you. And since they know all about you, they know exactly what it takes to make you feel inadequate. They know how to make you feel rejected. They know how to keep you sick, broken, unhappy. They know that uh, uh, what it will take to make you give up and quit. They use this knowledge to defeat you. Well, that's crazy. That whole thing is as crazy as the book. Uh, they're taking the word, an English word, and it's only in English, where uh, the word familiar, which is, I, I know them. I know something about them. I've, I've, I'm, I've grown accustomed to them. I'm familiar with them. And they've taken that, taken the word familiar from the Bible and married the two, and they don't match. And, and uh, to say that there's a demon that's following you around, keeping you broke, keeping you sick, keeping you unhappy, making you feel a certain way is bunk. It's, 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 it's not true. Uh, in fact, you don't need a spirit to do any of that. You have a fallen nature within inside you that's capable of doing that. You have a fallen spirit within inside you that's a uh, fallen nature, flesh, that's capable of lying, lusting, murder, witchcraft, all of those things independent of the devil. If the devil was bound for a thousand years, all those same things would continue to happen because it can come from our fallen nature. So... Um, Let me deal with the most common one. Uh, the most common one is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. This is the most common uh, teaching concerning the spirit of fear. And it comes from what Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So what's happened, and it, it, you'll hear it, and you'll hear it taught in this church, and I don't want you to go, uh, go off on that or, 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 or put the brakes on or anything like that. It's just such a common teaching that it's out there everywhere. So Paul's writing to Timothy saying, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So a, a lot of Christians, but in, uh, just in the past generation or two, in previous generations, they never believed this way. They never taught it. You can't find it in any of the old books. They take the word spirit and automatically thinking that Paul's talking to Timothy about a demon, a demon of fear. So anytime someone's afraid, they say, well, that's a spirit. And so you have to Cast that out in order to get free from fear. But this verse is only one time in the entire New Testament. There's not another verse like it. So we don't want to build a major doctrine like every time you're afraid, it's a demon that's making you afraid. We can't make a major doctrine on one verse. It's, it's, that's poor theology. It's, it's not even allowed. God wants us to build our lives on two or three witnesses. Then there's the word uh, spirit. The word spirit can be five different things. It could be uh, an evil spirit. It could be a holy spirit. It could be the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. It could be the human spirit. 
we, I, I, have a, I am a spirit looking out through these eyes talking to you. Or it could be a mental disposition. We'll say, boy, that, that, was a good, that, that was a good meeting. I like the spirit of that meeting. Or you meet someone, you say, boy, they have a good spirit about them. That's called the, that's mental disposition. It's the direction, the inclination of your mind. You have five choices in the Greek, and you have to pick one to find out what Paul is talking about. Now, if you could only pick one, and I'm, I'm, you've already heard my voice, but I think it is, that it's a spirit, it's a mental disposition. The reason is, as he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, you can change the way you think. The other problem with this is this word fear, this word fear in the Greek appears one time in the entire Bible. And it's not the word fear like, like being afraid or screaming or panicking. Uh, there's other places, lots of times, where it talked about the disciples being afraid. Paul said that he was afraid. I stood before you with fear and trembling. Paul have a demon. There's even a place where uh, 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 demons tremble. Uh, one, of the, one of the writers of the uh, New Testament epistle said that they, they tremble. They, they believe in God and they tremble. Does that mean that demons have a spirit of fear? Think about it. <laughs> so, but the problem is, is the word fear here is, appears one time in the entire New Testament. And it has to do with timidity. And we would, we would say uh, they're shy or they're, they're all locked up and they can't speak, they can't sing. By the way, Ryan, you just did a great job up here. I love, I love the fact you found your voice and you can just belt out a song. No timidity. But you were timid before. I don't know what changed, but there was a timidity before where you were not confident to be able to do that, but you just got up there and just belted it out. You found your voice. I love that. Well, does that mean that if you're, if you're nervous when you get the mic, that you have the spirit of timidity, you have a demon that we need to cast out? Notice Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, by the way, now that we've discerned this, let's cast that baby out. Let's get rid of that. He doesn't recommend deliverance. He says, change the way you think. When you stand up there, Timothy, and, and you've got this gift, and you've parked this gift somewhere, you're not... You're not using it because you're, you're intimidated by what people think and how people see you. And so what you need to do is you need to go to, you need to say, I have power from the Holy Spirit. It's not just me up there preaching, praying, or prophesying. It's the Holy Spirit in me. I'm baptized in the Spirit for this moment. Then what you need to do is you need to find that love vein. I'm nervous every time I speak. I got nervous tonight before I sat down. I'm nervous every time, and if I can get past what people think of me and, and, and how I look or how I feel or, or how well my week went or anything like that, and if I can think of, if I can get this out, this will help people. If I can get in this love vein of wanting to give to you, I become another man. If I can't find that love vein... Sometimes I have a hard time finding it. I'll be preaching somewhere, 
and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be nervous, and I'll say, okay, now that nervousness shows me that I'm thinking more about me than what I should. So who can I, who can I, and I'll scan the audience, and I'll find one person, and I'll say, I'm just going to preach to that person. I'm just going to preach to their perceived need. Uh, I, I'm sure they're going to need this message, and I'll just start off preaching. After, after a minute or so, I forget about them, and I'm in this vein where the life is flowing because I've gotten in this love vein. So that's what he's telling Timothy. The second part, or third part, is the sound mind. That you, and it has to do with self-control. You, you have to choose how you're going to feel and what you're going to think on. And, and, and you're going to have to say no to certain thoughts that make you locked up. So Timothy had a gift, and he wasn't using it because he was all locked up. But it wasn't a demon. Now, one of the most common things that you'll ever hear is anybody you meet that is, has an issue with fear, and they're struggling, and there's torment with fear, people will say, well, that's a demon. Well, how do you know? Well, the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. That's not what it's saying. You can't use this verse because that's not what he, it's not even close to what it's saying. So while the, that, 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 uh, that person has torment and that it's evil and it's, they're thinking nasty thoughts, yeah, and they need to control those thoughts. They need to get under God's love. They need to take authority over their own mind or their own thinking and not just allow the enemy to, to give them to boss them around or push them around with those thoughts, they can stand up and say no to that. Is it a demon? It, we're capable of fear. Fear comes from the fallen man. Adam, Adam experienced the, the, the fall. He experienced a, uh, he received a fallen nature. The very first thing that he did when he received that fallen nature is he became afraid. So it comes from our flesh. Could a demon actually torment someone and take them to a point where they're, they're excessively afraid? Yes. I've seen where demons can prod people with oppression and, 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 and uh, run them ragged in that area. But even that, even a child can say, no, I resist you, and they have to stop. They have to flee. And so uh, the most common misconception about spirit of this and spirit of that is this one, one particular one on the spirit of fear. Um, let's talk about discerning of spirits for a few minutes tonight. Uh, Paul wrote about the gifts of spirit. One of them is called discerning of spirits. It could be, be better rendered knowing spirits. Knowing spirits, knowing human spirits, knowing fallen spirits, knowing angelic spirits, knowing when it's God that's moving, when it's the enemy that's doing it, because sometimes the enemy will hide, making it look like uh, it's God that's doing it. Uh, that's the case of that woman who was saying, these men are of God, and shows the way of salvation, but it was an evil spirit. So we need a gift. There is a gift. I don't know anybody who has this gift. It's not common. Uh, all of us have discernment. Everyone here has kind of a, a, a working grid in your heart of how you discern anything, how you discern 
a low country boil, whether that was a good one or not, whether the sausage was properly done, whether the shrimp was overdone or underdone or properly done, by the way, it was perfectly done. But we have a, we have a level of discernment for everything. We have, a, we have a level of discernment for movies and for music. We discern all the time. For example, someone, uh, someone who worked uh, in, a, in a printer's shop, their job was to proofread everything that went through before it went to press. And so they would scan uh, an advertisement. Well, for the rest of their life, they could never enjoy reading a menu or a sign because immediately they'd go through that discernment process. It would just kick in. I had a friend who owned about four or five McDonald's restaurants back when McDonald's was new. And uh, he, uh, he asked me and a few other people, he said, would you just come in my restaurant uh, once a week and look for things that are wrong, go back to your car, make a, uh, make a mental list while you're in the restaurant, and then check it off when you get to your car and then send it to me. I'll reimburse you for your food. You never have to pay for another McDonald's meal. But I want you to do the same thing once a week for Burger King, and I'll pay for all your Burger King food. I was a single young guy, and, and you know back then, that's what you did. You ate, you ate in restaurants a lot. And so anyway, I would go into the restaurant, and I had a mental list that I had. It was, it, was, it was a huge sheet of paper, fine print, both sides, that I had to memorize. I had to go to the bathroom and look at the bathroom. I had to discern the parking lot, the cashier, how much, uh, whether she had makeup on, whether she, how many times she said please and thank you, whether she counted the change back in my hand, whether there's a rag anywhere, whether there's french fries on the floor, whether there's black around the grill. Well, to this day, I can't go to a McDonald's without scanning the restaurant and, and thinking, I'd fire you, uh, you know. It's just once, you, once, you've been, once you've been awakened, you discern. Someone who's been involved with the occult can pick up faster than the average person something that's cultish because they've had an experience. Someone who's been molested can discern someone who's a molester or someone else who's been molested the reason they can pick that up is they've had an experience. And, and uh, it, it works across the board. And so we all have discernment. And some people have razor sharp, very quick, very accurate discernment about people because they work so much with people. They've been with people. They know all different kinds of people. They can look at them. Uh, the guy who was uh, the, the basis for Sherlock Holmes was an actual uh, Christian guy. He was a doctor. He's a born-again Christian. And, and he could look at someone for, for parts of a second, turn to someone and say, that man is a welder, and, and, and uh, tell about that he's from Australia, but he's lived for a few years in, in, in uh, Wales before coming to, to Great Britain. And uh, uh, he's, um, he would talk about how many children he has. And, and it was like word of knowledge accurate. I mean, just amazing. But it was all through this, the power of observation. He had been around so many people. He could tell whether he was a... a, a a bachelor because his button wasn't sewed on properly, you know, not the way his wife would sew it. And, and he would discern the calluses on his hand. He would discern quickly. I was, it, everybody who was around him were, were amazed at how profound his discernment was. None of it was spiritual. 
He said, it was just through observation. I've been, with, I've been with so many people. He said, that man's been in the Army, and he could tell you why he knew he was in the Army. This other guy, he said, I know he can handle himself. He's been a boxer or some kind of prize fighter or something. I could discern that. And, and he, it was so accurate. And that's, he became the model for Sherlock Holmes, who was famous for his ability to discern. We all have discernment. And I've met some people who are very critical very um, astute in how they read people, and they thought that they had the gift of discerning of spirits because they said, I know a lot about this person. I think this about them. I think they were just, they were just um, critical. And so it's not, it's not that way. Here's discerning of spirits is seen, mostly seen, you can also know in your heart, but most of it's seen, knowing spirits, where you actually see something. And there are people, there are people who've had this who, without trying, they're not, they're not looking for it. They'll have an experience where they'll say, I know, I know this is what God has shown me here, and it's, it's incredibly accurate. Uh, I'll tell you a story about it. There's a guy named Kenneth Hagen, Sr., and he was in this church, and uh, he was, by the time he was finished the sermon, he was, he was exhausted. He was, he was really hard work preaching. He said, that was the craziest thing. I could preach the same sermon in another place, and people would be really be impacted. I'm preaching in this place, no impact, no response. He said, it was like my words were going out and hitting this glass wall and falling to the floor. They had no impact on people. And he told the pastor, he said, I, I, I don't know what's, what's different about your church, but there's something really strange here because I can't seem to get through to your people. What I'm saying has no effect. He said, I know. It's the same, it's the same for everybody who comes into my pulpit. Well, that caused the pastor to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this. So he decided to spend a, a day or two fasting and praying in his church. And he's seeking the Lord. He's crying out to the Lord for a solution for what's going on. As people aren't growing, ministry comes and nothing happens and, and something's wrong. And as he's praying, he said all of a sudden it was like the ceiling of the church was peeled back. And I could see up into the big rafters, the big timbers of the attic of the church, the infrastructure of the roof. He could see up into that. And up, hanging, around, hanging on one of the rafters was this gorilla-like imp. And he could see it, and it was looking at him. And when he saw it, he said, come down in the name of Jesus. And the thing fell out of the rafters and fell down into the middle of the sanctuary in the aisle of the sanctuary. And he said, now leave in the name of Jesus. And it would take three or four steps, turn around, and look at him with this pitiful face like, no, don't, don't make me leave. And he'd say, I said leave. And it would take a few more steps. They're all rebellious. Leave in the name of Jesus. And it would take a few more steps. So finally he said, I said leave, and the thing... Uh, hobbled out the door. Uh, he watched it cross the street, and it went into a bar. And the next day, that bar burned to the ground. But from that time on, 
everyone said, this is a different church. Hagen came back and said, I can't believe the difference. And that's what the guy told him, that story. Because he saw something with the eyes of his heart. He could see something. Discerning of any spirits, it's not all just evil spirits, has to do with seeing, has to do with knowing, knowing, with the, knowing on the inside. And uh, it's, it's a rare gift. Very, very few people have pressed in for it. Uh, but it's not discerning. It's very specific. It's, it's not a gift of discernment. You have discernment, but it's not a spiritual gift. You have discernment because you've had life experiences. There's no such thing. If you look this up, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, there's no such thing as a gift of discernment. It's a gift of discerning of spirits. Discernment can be taught. It can be learned. It can be exercised through use of your senses. You can discern through your sense. There are people whose tongues are insured for millions of dollars because they can taste something and discern whether a product is the way it should be or not. And they just, they're, they're tasters. There's people, there's a guy who makes a ton of money every year. All he does is discern ice cream. Talk about a job. There's people who can discern. You can discern through your senses, and that's all good, and we should do that. But there's, it's not discerning of spirits. Then there's people with no discernment. Uh, the funniest one is Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, the Lord said of the people of Nineveh, this great city, he said, which, of which there are 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. That's the Lord talking. I mean, that's, that's quite a statement. They can't discern between their right hand and their left hand. That's, that's a serious lack of discernment. We're to discern the times. We're to discern seasons. We're to discern our own spiritual condition. We're to discern with compassion. We're to discern the body of Christ. We're to discern um, what God is doing among our people. Uh, discern the times, discern the work of our hands. There's lots of things to discern that are positive, that God wants us to be discerning. But so oftentimes what happens is we're critical and we're negative and we call it discernment. And, and, and it's not right. It's wrong. So. so the number of demons that you need to know anything about, there's about five of them, five categories. It's really that simple. It's they're either, usually they're an unclean spirit, a foul spirit's the same, an evil spirit's the most general thing. There is a spirit of infirmity. There is a spirit of seduction, which has to do with false teaching. And there is a, a, a spirit, of, a familiar spirit, which has to do with witchcraft and, and uh, uh, fortune telling, that kind of thing. And that's, that's really probably in your lifetime, that's all you're ever going to have to use or to, to work with. It's that simple. Simple as the, the hands, the fingers on your hand. Is that helpful? You're going to hear teaching just the opposite of everything I say. There's a, there's a spirit of gray chairs and the spirit of brown chairs. There's a, a spirit of glasses and the spirit of hearing aids and the spirit of uh, buns and coverings. And you're, you're going to hear all that stuff. And there's no way to stop it. Uh, but for me, it has no effect on me. I let it go through one ear and out the other. 
uh, just because I've studied the Bible so extensively. I'm comfortable with what I know. I'm comfortable with what I have to work with. And it's been useful in all these years. And I haven't needed anything else. And I don't think you will either. Okay?